Well, if you have been reading through our first week of the New Testament in 40 Days Adventure, we read about that this week, didn't we? The uh, gathering for some of you nod your head. Yes, I do remember reading that this week. Even if you're lying, just make me feel better. Ah, Greg, you are now my favorite parishioner. No. Oh, you remember the story? Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus over for dinner, and a woman shows up and just stands there weeping over his feet and anointing him and kissing his feet and drying his feet with her hair. And and all who are in the room are just thinking, whoa. Who is this? And doesn't he know who it is that's touching him? And Jesus just didn't care. And then, of course, he turned it into a teaching moment, as he always does. I've, I've often thought, and I was reminded again as I read it this week, when he, uh, he addressed Simon, he said, Simon, he said, I, I have something to tell you. And Simon said, oh, tell me, Lord, or teacher. And I thought to myself, ooh, that was a mistake. He'd have been better off to say, nah, I don't think I want to hear it. Oh, I was reminded this week, reading through Luke's gospel, of, of one of my favorite stories in the world, personal story that Tony Campolo tells um, about an experience he, that he had in Honolulu. I'm pretty sure I've read this to you or told you this story sometime over the years. I don't remember when I did, and so you just got to hear it again this morning because it is so... I think so perfect for, for where we have been at in Luke this week. Campolo tells about being at a conference in Honolulu, and, and his East Coast time clock was all off, and so he woke up and found himself hungry and was thinking about coffee and something to eat. Well, it's 3 a.m. in Honolulu when he wakes up. So he gets up and he goes out looking around. He says he, he found this greasy little place, the only place he could find that was open, just a few minutes from his hotel. So he ordered a coffee and a donut. And uh, if you ever want to go online and hear him tell this story, you should do it. It's just hilarious. He adds a lot of spicy details. But he was up five minutes into his coffee and his donut when the door to the diner swings open and in marches, he said, eight or nine prostitutes. And they're rather boisterous and rather talkative about the events of the night. And he was trying to avoid listening, but he couldn't help overhearing their conversation because this place was so tiny. And one of the women who was sitting nearest to him said, Hey, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39, she said. Her friend responded in kind of a nasty tone. So, what do you want? I mean, you want, you want a birthday party? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, said this woman. She said, you don't have to be so mean. I was, just, I was just telling you, that's all. So why do you have to put me down? I was just telling you I have a birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party in my life. Idea. Things into his head. So he waited until they were all gone. And he asks... Harry, who we'd learned that was the name of the, the owner of the diner, about these women, if they came in every night, yeah, they come in every night. And what about that woman who said she'd never have a birthday party? He said, oh yeah, that's, that's Agnes. So then Campolo suggests that they throw her a birthday party the next morning at about the same time. Well, Harry thinks it's a great idea. 
He'll even bake a cake. And Campola's not real sure about that cake, but hey, it's enthusiasm. And so he showed up the next morning at 2.30 a.m., brought some crepe paper that he had found earlier in the day. Uh, they made a cardboard sign, Happy Birthday, Agnes. The cook had baked the cake and, and uh, somehow had gotten the word out about this party because Campola says shortly before 3 a.m., he felt like the place was just packed with all of the prostitutes in Honolulu and him. Packed into that little diner shortly after 3 a.m., in walks Agnes, and everybody shouts, Happy birthday. It's hard to read this. She was stunned. He said her mouth was hanging open. She couldn't say anything. Her legs actually started to buckle. Someone held her arm and steadied her and kind of walked her over to one of the stools by the counter as they all sang happy birthday. He said he was watching and her, and her eyes were moist, but when the birthday cake came out of the kitchen with all of the candles on it, she just lost it and just wept. Of course, everyone is excited for her and wants her to cut the cake, but she asked if she could have just a few minutes to take it out of the diner, down the street a couple of blocks, and show the cake to her mother. She promised to bring it back so that they could cut it and eat it. She just wanted her mom to see the cake. Campola said she carried it out of the diner like it was the Holy Grail. After there, she left, he said, there's an awkward silence. Not knowing what else to do, he said, well, why don't we just pray? And so he did. And here's, here's direct quote. Here's how he ends the story. Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 a.m. in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. And when I finished, Harry said to me with just a trace of hostility in his voice, Hey! You never told me you were a preacher. What kind of a church do you belong to? In one of those moments when just the right words came, I answered, I belong to a church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. He said, Harry got this look on his face, and then he almost sneered as he answered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. Because if there was... I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Amen. Don't you have moments in your life when that's the church you want to be a part of? Oh, I thought of this so often as I, I was reading through Luke's gospel this week in our reading adventure. I was, I was struck by something that I've known for a long time, and chances are you probably have too. But it hit me anew. The kingdom that Jesus came proclaiming, which was the kingdom of his father, and his father, we know, is God. And so the kingdom where God is king, that kingdom, that kingdom is a place where broken people are invited to come and experience the unpredictable, unexplainable, unbelievable love of God.
That's the kingdom that Jesus came to proclaim. And the only thing that excludes anyone from that kingdom is not believing that it is for them. Whether they believe, whether they they don't believe that they they need it, or whether they don't believe that, that God really loves them or could love them that much, the result is the same. Believing what Jesus brings is admission into the kingdom of God. Don, can we put that first slide up this morning? Jesus, early in Luke's gospel, you read the story, was in the synagogue, and he took the Isaiah scroll, and he opened it up to what we call chapter 61. There wouldn't have been a chapter heading at that time. And he read these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And my brothers and sisters, oppression takes all kinds of form. To set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of God's pleasure. And then Luke records Jesus saying this to everyone who's in the synagogue. Today, as he rolls up the scroll, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Jesus is announcing that he is the one whom the Spirit has anointed and sent. A prophecy made seven, eight hundred years prior to that day had come to pass. Jesus is announcing something new and something really amazing. And then he goes on, as we have read this week, to include story after story of Jesus living out, offering, uh, and offering to others the outrageous love of God. And Luke, I think because Luke was a Gentile, gives kind of a special emphasis to the inclusion of the Gentiles in Jesus' invitation to the kingdom. And of course, the other thing that Luke records quite often is the displeasure of the religious leaders. We might call them the religious folk. Those people who were the guardians of orthodox belief. He constantly offended them. I'm not convinced that he didn't try to offend them. Sometimes... He just did offend them. And then I think other times it might have been a little purposeful. Again, out of the heart of of God's love comes Jesus trying to crack open the door of their their vaulted minds, their secure minds, to, to show them something that they've missed. 
Jesus mixed with the wrong crowd, according to the religious leaders. He taught things that were contrary to their teachings and what they believed were orthodox. He healed people on the Sabbath. And the people loved him. The people loved him. And that, that was a problem for the religious establishment. And our text this morning is found in, in Luke 16. Now, I only know that because I cheated and looked at another Bible that had the chapter headings and the verse you know, numbers and all that. So I'm, I'm just telling you, it's, it's coming from Luke 16. And, and I have to tell you, I, I chose it for, for this one verse. Don, can we put it up that has just grabbed my heart all week long. And we're going we're gonna to mix things up a little bit this morning. I hope that's okay. Reverse order. I'm going to have you talk about this before we even read the larger context. So I'm just pulling this out of context, and you know how important context is to me, okay? You know, we always need the context to really understand what's going on. But I think that this statement kind of stands on its own, and then we'll go back and, and pick up the context. The law and the prophets were proclaimed... Until John, says Jesus, Jesus speaking. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing their way into it. Everyone is forcing their way into it. All right, so here's the question I want you to talk about with your neighbor for just a couple minutes. Who is everyone, and why are they forcing their way into the kingdom of God? Now, what will help you in this conversation is to recall what you've read in Luke. This week. Of course, you've all read it, so you're experts. But uh, that will give you some clues about who's everyone and why are they forcing their way into the kingdom of God. Go ahead, see what your neighbor thinks. A couple of minutes. Oh, and I forgot to tell you, John is John the Baptist, in case you're wondering. And he's now dead at the point in which Jesus said this. You've digressed. Now you're talking about the Broncos, I know. So let's, let's bring it back here. So what do you think? What your neighbor think? Who is, who's everyone? And why are they forcing their way into the kingdom? What do you think? And I would add to that, certainly not in the way that we see the mission of the church unfold. Of course, you know, we have to kind of read ahead, of, you know, to, to put that on there. But yeah, yeah, good point. What else? People, Jesus spent a lot of time with, with people who just, we're not the right folks. I dare say that's the, the, the preponderance of, of people that he spent time with at the Gospels, at least, show us. What else? What else did you come up with? Why are people forcing their way into this kingdom, according to Jesus? Okay, okay. Jesus, yeah, in his ministry, started to crack the door open to Gentiles. And that, too, was alarming to not only the religious authority, but to those who were his Jewish followers. So, what else? Any other comments? Faith is aggression. Okay. Okay. Acting upon something that you believe. Oh, sure, you had to add that, didn't you? Yeah. Go ahead, just convict me. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Some, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I think he's talking about that. Yes, precisely. Somewhere along the way, the, 
those of us who are part of the Orthodox group got the idea that, that we're somehow the in crowd and, and that we, we deserve to be there. When in reality, that's, that's exactly what, what Jesus is, is suggesting, that, that the love of God goes far beyond anything that, that these folks have really ever conceived of, ever understood. There's, there's disagreements among commentators about how exactly are we to understand that forcing their way into the kingdom of God. Matthew, in his gospel, he uses a little bit different emphasis in the, in the language. talks about forceful ones, forceful people who are, who are taking hold of it. Some commentators don't like that. feels like it's, it's almost a little sense of, of, there's a little violence there. But, but you, the way that Luke is using it is, is in a sense, it's, it's, a, it's a very enthusiastic desire. It's, it's an embracement. It's people, it's people pushing their way through a small door because they are so excited to see what is on the inside. You know, every year at Royal Family Kids Camp, we have an enormous birthday party on Wednesday night. Many of you have come up over the years and you've, you've helped with that. The reason that we do that is because all of the kids at some point have been in the foster care system. The majority of them are still in the foster care system. And many of those children have never had a birthday party. Not unlike the prostitute in Campolo's story. Now, it, it may seem a small thing. My kids can't conceive of not having a birthday party. You know, we, we're still celebrating birthdays. My daughter-in-law's got a birthday this week, and so we're trying to figure out, okay, what night can everybody come? You know, it's like the family duty. Got to celebrate the birthday. Birthdays are a celebration of a life. Birthdays communicate value. It says to the one who is being partied, you are valuable. You are loved. You are special. There is no one like you. That's the intent. And Luke is all about Jesus giving value to those who do not have it. They're forcing their way into the kingdom because they sense coming from Jesus a love and an acceptance and a value placed upon them that they have, they have never experienced. Okay, so let me give you the context to what we have just read. It's the story, some of you perhaps remember reading this, the, uh, the rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. You, you remember that. So the manager called him in and he said, well, so what's this I hear? You've got to give an account of your management because you can no longer work here. I'm, I'm firing you. And the manager thought to himself, whoa, I'm in trouble. So my master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed to beg. I don't know what I'm going to do. So I, when I lose my job here, I've got to have some kind of a support system. So he calls each one of the customers who are indebted to the master and says, how much do you owe my master? Well, one said 900 gallons of olive oil. He replied, the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 450. The second one, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master found out about this and he commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. 
For the people of this world, Jesus says, are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now listen closely. (laughs) It's the most confusing thing on the earth. Listen closely. It's going to lead us up to what we're going to read together. Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? There's a, there's a lofty challenge that Jesus has woven into these words. Let's, let's stand and read together what comes next. <clears throat> together. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing their way into it. My brothers and my sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated. Don, let's put that that very last slide up. Yes, thank you. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. You know, Luke often records, I think, what is maybe the, the jealousy of the religious authorities, the establishment about crowds that were flocking to him. But why did they do that? Well, it's because he lavished on them the outrageous love of God. He made the truth of God's love attractive to them because God's love is attractive. And then I ask myself the question, do I make the love of God attractive to others? When I'm talking about God, when I'm not talking about God, but but sharing in their life, my words and my actions, do I make God's love attractive? The parable of Jesus uses in this text all kinds of, of, of questions, raises all kinds of, of, of issues and concerns, but I think it's important to, to hear what is written on the screen and to allow that to be the filter through which we understand what Jesus has said, he tells us that the rich man commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. That's fascinating, isn't it? The manager had suddenly chosen to give a break to the very people that he had previously exploited because it was common practice in that day that when people purchased something and, and went into debt, they had an account, the middleman 
would very easily and without a whole lot of thought mark up the total unbeknownst to, or at least he thought, unbeknownst to the owner, so that when the bill became due, then the customer pays that entire amount, the middleman skims off the extra that he had billed into it, and the person still pays their bill that is due the owner. So when this manager goes back to these people and says, hey, make your bill this, make your bill that, he was very likely eliminating the money from the bill that he had built into it for himself. He was not actually cheating the owner, more than likely. But suddenly, what's it do? It gives the appearance that he was very generous rather than the scoundrel that he really was. He was covering himself. He was looking out for himself in hope that he would have a place to turn when he finds himself jobless and potentially homeless. His circumstances suddenly required it. Luke says that the Pharisees loved money and they sneered at Jesus. The word that the NIV translates money, and I think this is important, can also and is translated in other places in the Scripture, the New Testament, as as worldly riches. It's, It's the idea of stuff that is valued by the world in which we live. And what people value highly is detestable in God's sight, according to Jesus. The idea of stuff, money, money for sure. I mean, that's a legit translation. But, but in our culture, what are the other things that we value? We've, we certainly we value time. We, we value ability. Think about the games that are going to be on this afternoon. Some of us worship athletic ability. God is not impressed. We value intelligence. And we, we, value, we value those who we think have made right decisions. And we question those who have made wrong decisions according to our value system. Those who have wrecked their lives. Jesus told the Pharisees that God knew their hearts. He was saying, God knows what you value. You can justify yourselves if you want in terms of your anti-people behavior, but God knows your hearts and what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. And I think that's because typically what we value most as human beings is self. 
and those things that contribute to our well-being. Or I'm just going to say, at least I wrestle with that. Maybe you can relate. What does God value? God values unconditional love, which flows from his character. God values giving, which is a demonstration of that loving character. We know well from the scriptures that that God is love and demonstrated that because he gave. God values sacrifice. He values attitudes and actions toward others that, that mirror his attitudes and his actions done for us through his Son. The unpredictable, unexplainable, unbelievable love of God that has been made available for everyone, no matter who they are. No matter their life circumstances, their life choices, their value system that doesn't match ours. God's love is extravagant. It's ridiculous. And it can make us really uncomfortable. When we recognize those around us in our lives, whatever settings we find ourselves, that live their lives in ways that are very different from ours, God loves them. They are precious to him. And I think that is what people experienced in Jesus. And they were lining up to be with him. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees that people are forcing their way in because they are experiencing love like never before. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, the priority in the economy of God is lost and broken people. Don't become sidetracked with lesser things. Don't become ensnared with the things that the world values but are detestable to God. That was to the Pharisees. How about us? As his followers. Do people sense in us a love for them that goes beyond their exterior or that goes beyond maybe the, the shallow surface through which we know them and associate with them? Does it go beyond what we, we see and hear coming from them? I guess I would say it like this. Do we know anybody who needs a birthday party and a celebration of their life and a love expressed 
to them, just because we can? Can we do for them what God has done for us? Well, no. But we can love others with a heart's intent of loving them as God has loved us. God did for us what he did, not because we deserved it, but because because he loved. And he still does love. And calls us as his people to bring the news of his love and his amazing kingdom to all those who will hear and receive. Some won't. Some will remain in the camp of the Pharisees. That's okay. There are plenty who live in the brokenness of our world who will welcome the news of a God who loves them like he does.